Hey, so thanks everybody for coming. Uh, this mic is good. Everybody, everybody can hear me. Great. Uh, my name is Lucas Shaw. Uh, I oversee media and entertainment coverage at Bloomberg. I'm the least important person on this panel. Um, I'm joined by uh, Amit, who runs Religion of Sports, which just had the, the great promo up there. Kathy from ESPN, uh, who is in charge of all sorts of different programming for ESPN and ESPN Plus. And uh, Jay Williams, uh, former basketball star, ESPN on-air personality, and now documentary producer. Did I miss anything? No. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to start because we had the, uh, the Oscars last night, and I was asked to start on a, on a, on a non-business note. Um, Kati, take it away. Oh. Yeah. No, no, no. We're starting on a non-business note. Um, n there, there, were no, there were no sports stories given prizes last night. So I'm just curious for each of you, uh, over the last 12 to 15 months, what was your favorite sports documentary or sports movie? And the, the Kathy, the rule particularly for you is you cannot pick one that you made. Why? <laughs> Why? No, I lead awards on our team. I have to root for my own people. No, okay, so I'm just going to quickly say Cave of Adelum by far deserves to be an Oscar nomination nominee. If you don't know the story, look into it for sure. It's been highlighted in multiple different mediums, but it showcases what seeing people at every level, especially at a young age, can do for young men and the impact it can have in their lives. So that I think sports story deserves to be in every major award, but that's a topic for a different story. I would probably lean into uh, the doc done on Bill Russell just because of his passing um, and how imperative he's been to the sport from a person that stood up for different things socially uh, around racism in Boston, but just his entire backstory and how guys like LeBron James or Giannis or Kevin Durant would not be in a position they are today without people like Bill Russell or Oscar Robinson. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you, you apply the same constraint to me? Uh, Lucas, yeah, here? I think so. So I think, I think then I'd, I'd go, um, uh, I mean, I, I actually think that there's really a lot of good that's been come out of you know, things like Drive to Survive. And I would say because it's not necessarily, um, uh, just like one individual story, but I think it's just a compelling package of, you know, lifting up uh, an entire sport. And so I think it's just it's um, uh, I think it's I think it's worth awards. I don't know, but talking Oscars is a different conversation. But but I think it's worth uh, uh, considering what what it's done uh, to the industry. Have you watched the new season? Not the newest one. No, I'm two what's, episodes what, in. What's your but. view of Drive to Survive? Yeah. Um, I think it's great. I'm someone who never watched Formula One. Still, don't really care to watch Formula One because you're watching cars go around in a circle. That's but right. the the drama in the documentary is pretty remarkable. Like I was always going to be in for any basketball doc because I love basketball, or the tennis doc that Netflix has. I really like tennis. But for those other sports, they establish characters and turn them into celebrities. I mean, Formula One is sort of perfect for that for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, but yeah. Um, but Jay, you brought up some of the kind of some of the other athletes for whom sort of Bill Russell blazed a trail, and I'm I'm curious. Um, we're sort of in this moment now where it feels like every athlete wants to tell their own story or be a part of it. We also are. There's been just this huge boom in 
in sports programming over the last few years, which seems odd because sports has always been incredibly popular. So, so two related questions. What do you think has sort of driven this kind of surge in, in sports and sports-adjacent documentary programming, and why are athletes just, just now taking a far more active role in being part of that? I think my story is pretty interesting. You know, um, people always call me talent, uh, which I, I hate that word. I don't know why, um, because I've always seen myself to do so much more. I think getting involved in really investing in social media programs like 10 years ago and that leading to me working with you know, LeBron James and Maverick Carter on selling a series and a show to YouTube and Best Shot and activating the idea around activating things that are meaningful to us and impact uh, going into a school in Newark, New Jersey and spending time with these kids, not just from a dollar amount, but from a time equity amount and showing change and then transitioning from that to working with Rich Kleiman and Kevin Durant and selling the boardroom season one to ESPN, talking about where the athlete is going with the business. I think it's a, we're at an inflection point. Uh, obviously, we've seen this with LeBron James. We've seen it with Stephen Curry. We've seen it with uh, Mega Rapino and company, where athletes are trying to tell their stories more than ever. I think for me, being talent, uh, also while serving talent in shows, but executive producing as well, there's an interesting marriage between them all. And I think now with my production company and my partners, um, you know, we're, we're trying to be more forefront with athletes by letting, okay, like, I don't, I want you to tell your story, right? Some news journalist is always going to tell it from their side, their perspective. I think remaining objective uh, and providing context around the story about what the climate, what the temperature was at a certain time when an athlete was going through that situation or experience, it's good to marry those two together. But athletes now see it as an opportunity for a branding um, opportunity, frankly, where they get a chance to tell their side of the story, and it hasn't really been told from their side as much. So is there challenges that come along with that? Of course. But I think now I have privy to a lot of things, you know, being a second pick in the draft behind a 7'6 Chinese guy in Yao Ming, because there's a lot of 7'6 guys that come in the draft fine, but still like going over to China and seeing, you know, what his situation was like and training with him and knowing that a percent of his salary goes to the Chinese government was so intriguing as a player to see the innuendos and the details around that and then seeing that turned into a story, that story arc, you know, for where he went through with Houston, like that's an interesting perspective that only he would have, that he would be able to tell. And I think now athletes more than ever are trusting each other with the abilities to tell those details, to tell those specifics, and to collaborate and push back on have you looked at it this way to provide colorful context around it. I assume, you know, for, for the two of you, you're more, are you more excited about working on a project if the subject is involved or if you have the attachment of one of these, these big names? Um, yeah, I think, so for us, uh, you know, to your first question of like, why is this happening? I feel like if you step back, you know, the landscape is growing. There's so much more unscripted content out there. Netflix and ESPN, Disney, and so many other partners have dollars are allocating here. Second, to Jay's point, athletes are getting more and more um, interested in controlling their own brands. and They have brands they've built on social media. So you have these things happening. And so then when we get involved, if we're working with any athlete, um, usually they'll sit down. So we did something, for example, with Russell Westbrook a couple of years ago. He sat down and said, okay, we'll do something at Showtime. So yes, we're excited. We got the partner aboard, to your point. But the first thing our team, Gotham, our creative team will say is, why, why are you doing this? What is it that you want to say? And 
usually, not always, but usually the first word that comes out of the mouth, uh, uh, athlete's mouth is legacy. But then we say, okay, well, what, what, what is legacy? What does legacy mean to you? And I'm sure if we ask Jay, we ask Kati, we ask anyone, what does legacy mean to them? You have to get underneath it. And so, yes, to answer your question, Lucas, it's, a, it's, it's important to have them engaged, but to really set up for success, it's that engagement at a level where they really, really are the ones driving, um, and, and, and they dig deep into what matters and why it matters. And for me, I would say I'm always excited to tell sports stories. I think everybody knows that ESPN and 30 for 30 brand and ESPN Plus original content. I get particularly excited when we get to work with partners like Amit and do Man in the Arena Tom Brady because of the extensions of that project that we can bring to consumers outside of the content itself, right? There's no other partner we could, you know, re-energize re the ESPN special edition magazine for and then create an NFT before they bust it it takes a special partner to do that with. And that's sort of the story before the story that I get really excited about and the sort of like secret sauce that happens when you have an athlete or a production partner involved that are excited about telling their story in the consumers as they are about just having a production credit, right? And I get excited as well when it's more of just, you know, feel good storytelling as well that doesn't have an athlete. But I will say because on one side I... I work on content strategy. The other side, I work on integration. I'm always excited for what the integration and innovation to the story can be when an athlete's involved, especially within our networks. I think those are the most powerful things that can come together. Can I add something to that? Please. I also think um, you know, we're making an announcement in about a month about what our production company is and who that athlete is that I partner with. But we've also been able to bring value add to the table because a lot of times that athletes' relationship with brands, those endorsements, those endorsements and those brands want to activate those dollars around that content as well, right? So being able to bring those additional brands to the table for streamers to say, hey, here's the amplification model, uh, here's how it can help you with ad revenue, I think all that just brings in the extra support to tell the story even more. You, you, you mentioned, um, first of all, Jay just committed the cardinal sin of being in front of journalists. You can't say we're going to announce something in a week next to me and expect <laughs> me not to ask you about it, but we'll, we'll get to that. Um, you, uh, Kathy, you talked about 30 for 30, which I feel like is also a big part of this, just because that was such a successful program at ESPN. It really opened a lot of people's eyes, and you started having all sorts of people pitching, what about 30 for 30 for, 30 for this or that? I myself have may have used it in a pitch for something once upon a time. Um, and how has how has the the kind of ESPN's approach to um, to documentaries kind of changed over the last you know 10 12 years since that came out, and, and what does the 30 for 30 brand mean now relative to, to what it did when it started? Well, first, I must recognize that we have a very special person sitting in our audience who actually does a lot of the creative for 30 for 30s, Marcia Cook. She's right in the front line with the beautiful fro. And it takes special people like her to tell really compelling stories, right? We've had tremendous changes for the brand, but the prideest joy I get is like when I'm at the gym, this has actually happened. I'm at the gym and someone's like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, oh yeah, I work at ESPN. And they're like, do you work on 30 for 30s? And then they'll start listing every sports story they've ever seen, even the ones that are not 30 for 30s. And I'm like, we have done that thing. Um, and so I get great joys out of that. I think that, you know, for a long time, and keep me honest here, Marsha, we've looked at stories that really have been historical, that have been more completed. The ESPN films is like a more current series and events. Um, but really now it's one of the most beloved, if not the most beloved brand 
at ESPN. And so how do you really utilize that to continue to innovate against it? And I'm proud and excited that I have a partner in Marsha, a partner in Brian, our leader, that allows us to really flex on what that looks like for the future. And our future is looking pretty fire, as she would say, right? So tune in because I think that this year we're going to tell really not just compelling stories that are at the core of who we are, but extensions of that that really push us into what we should be doing in the future and the future of sports storytelling. Do you feel like there's a, like, do you know, okay, and I'm, for, for the kind of the sellers on the, on the panel too, like this is our lane, this is Netflix's lane, this is Amazon's lane, is there a clear distinction or are you guys going after the same things and it's just whoever can put together the best offer? I mean, we create our own lanes, right? So everybody's just starting to drive cars where we've been driving and riding for a minute, you know, playing the hottest tune. You guys can probably guess I'm, I'm playing Carol G in my car and who knows what <laughs> Netflix is playing, right? Um, but I would say, you know, there's a lot of stories that we actually pass on because we have an amazing development team uh, that go to other streamers. And so it's important to really have a team that is looking at the entirety of the package because everything that shines is not gold. And your numbers say or your consumers say it. So it's important to understand how you are serving the business as well. And I love that we have a team that's not only development and creative focused, but we're also focused on the business, right? Um, and the consumers we have and the consumers we want to have on our platform. So to answer your question, Lucas, um, we are in every lane because we started the lane. Um, and we are bumping in our cars to the hottest jams out there. And we do tend to look at things very critically, and they end up going to places that I hope they do well in those places and spaces. They were just not right at that moment for our business. I'm always happy to talk about that as well. I know that all the creatives um, on our side are too. So. This is just because Amit said that Drive to Survive was the most important sports doc. Well, wow. come, come on, yeah, exactly. come on. <laughs> I mean, you, you basically, you, you, uh, you hamstrung me when we started the conversation. I couldn't, I couldn't list anything. Um, but but uh, building on what Kati just said, I think the flip side of, you know, Gotham always tells the story as we started the business of um, when we started, 30 for 30 was actually the inspiration. He says, um, wow, I, I can actually do what I want to do, be a storyteller, and do it in a subject I love, sports. And as we fast forward now six years later, we'd say our measure of success isn't necessarily that we have a franchise out there that's similar on a network, we're not building ESPN, but that we have a cadre of creatives that are now coming to us saying, I want to be part of the next religion of sports thing, whatever it is. And that to us is our version of that. And I think it does take a lot of inspiration for what the team here started and built um, from a storytelling perspective. And are you, you know, building the, building the business and then also creatively, are, you're interested in everything from sort of, you know, a standalone movie, 60 to 90 minutes to a full series? Do you, where does short form fit into that? Yeah, we, we go across the board mainly it's story driven. So we've done um, Greatness Code on Apple Plus, which was a series of short sort of seven minute, season one seven minute episodes that were heavily graphics intensive. We're trying to visualize flow state as a part of that all the way to yeah, full length, uh, multiple hours. Uh, you know, Man in the Arena was 10 hours. Um, so yeah, everything in between. Do you mind if I pick a meat spring for a second? I, I, it, you, it, I, it, I so appreciate okay. that you're polite. Just jump in whenever okay, you perfect, want. Okay, perfect, perfect. <laughs> so, right, uh, back, I mean, I, I was curious from, you know, somebody who has been doing TV for 15, 20 years, but now in the production space for the last three or four, when you look at the series of streamers from Netflix, Amazon, Disney+, Plus, all of them, how do you 
uh, kind of rationalize how does this product or this show fit this streamer? Or is it more so, hey, we're just taking this to market, seeing who bites? Or how do you kind of decipher that? Are you in my brain? I'm just thinking through <laughs> things, you know? I think how I can sell better, to be how frank with you. No, it's, it's, interesting. it's an interesting question because, look, we raised some capital last year, and part of that was to be able to say, you know, there's some instances where we feel like if we can just get further along by just building something on our own, we can help show buyers what it can be. Yeah. Um, and we've done that a few times, and we think that actually pays off, and it turns into a, a better creative product because um, uh, some buyers, not necessarily ESPN, uh, will actually have a very clear point of view on what particular piece of content needs to be driven by an algorithm or something else and then you're in a conversation where it's like okay that sounds great but it needs to change and be look like this if you're interested and if so go make that happen and bring it back and that's a tough thing to do we're not a tech company with a creative team right where a creative team has a vision and so a lot of projects actually die that way as well um, so it's, so I wouldn't say there's a formula I think there's more of you know the archetypes of what things you're looking for, and then, and then it's on us to say, how does the storytelling team really bring something to market that's compelling? Um, I don't know, Kati, if you'd build on that. I mean, I've, I'm really glad you asked that question because I also think that's something that you said that's important is some of the ideas die there. I think some ideas die on the platform due to lack of discoverability, due to lack of support, due to lack of, like, Oof, behind it, right, and sort of creative mechanism. So I'm always looking at challenging creators to, like, absolutely, listen, we all have to eat, right? And we all have to make a living, and it's important to sell ideas. But it's also important to understand the investment of that network to your idea, because if not, you have incredible stories that we started on Oscars or awards that will never be discovered, will never qualify, because no one's ever seen them. And it makes me really sad. It's like having the Mona Lisa in my house. It is worth zero dollars in my house, you guys, right? <laughs> in the museum, it's worth a lot of dollars, all right? It's like the most coveted piece of We're gonna artwork. We're going to hook you up to the private art market. If it's in your house, it can still be worth a lot of money. Be careful, because <laughs> prices are up. Okay, but only I can see it, right? And, and it's better for the public good when stories are more unlocked to more people because that can change the way that they see sports. They feel represented in what sports fandom even is and looks like. How much I of that... I got sentimental there. I'm sorry, y'all. No, no, no. We, we like that. <laughs> how much of that is, you know, when you talk about dying on the platform, how much of that is, is marketing versus what people are coming to that specific platform for and what else is there, right? Because one of the big debates I find we have in streaming right now and kind of TV, movies, media in general, is there's just so much to stay on top of that breaking through is really challenging. Um, and a lot of the big streaming services don't put sort of traditional marketing budgets behind. So like when you guys buy something, are you always committing to a big marketing spend around it? Or how important is that for you when you're selling? I, I, I can do the ESPN commercial yeah. here because I, I do think that, <laughs> that for Kati, to, yeah, because I, th I think to Kati's point earlier on lanes, one thing that they have is, you know, this 40 years of history of being able to think about everything from theme parks to ESPN radio to um, linear television and programming and so forth. And so with Man in the Arena as an example, I mean, the ability to blast across and the coordination their team was able to bring to the table has been amazing. Um, so I think cutting through does matter a lot. I think, to Kati's point, none of us are doing this because we want, you know, put money in our pocket only, because I think there's other industries <laughs> that could be more lucrative. It's to create impact with this content as well. 
And I think, um, so it really is important that, that you find partners that are help, that help to cut through. I mean, you know, every platform, if you look at it um, outside in and also working with them, has a different strategy and approach on how to do that. And I think it's some um, are more effective than others, but also uh, the goals sometimes are different, right? Like, like a, again, um, uh, just looking even at Netflix, at some of what they've done, feels like there's, it's not really a, a built, it's like you hear about it, then it's out. Even the Chris Rock as an example, right? I didn't know that was coming. I just saw that it happened, and then there was a big buildup, and then it's in the top 10, and then they let the market decide for them, uh, it seems like. And so everyone has a different approach. I think it is really important for us, though, as creators, to say, how does, how does that maximize? How is that maximized? I will say that from somebody on the talent side, you know how many times per day doing ESPN radio for four hours a day, five days a week, that I've said man in the arena? I mean, sorry. I, no, no, sorry. but, but, but seriously, like the amplification model, like I've, I've known so much about Amit before I even got a chance to meet him in Gotham and what they were doing, because on every one of our platforms we are talking about, is Tom going to come back and play? What's happening? Is there another handshake with Stephen Ross in Miami on the boat? Like there's so many things, and it leads back to, it's almost like Aaron Rodgers in the Pat McAfee show. It just drives you back towards the platform in which you're waiting to hear more information about what's going to be next. It's so interesting you were talking about that before, just because um, Connor Shell, the 30 for 30, and that model now where we've gone with it, but having the boardroom selling season one, just how do you think analytics have played into it? Can we geek out for a second? Because I know like when we first sold the first season to ESPN, it was more so about like, well, how many subscribers does this you know, experience of this show bring to the table? How has that changed over the course of time? So I'm super dweeby, so don't let the stress fool you into thinking I'm not. Uh, and this is like a really nice bridge to both of the conversations we were having. Sorry, Lucas. Yeah, sorry, we want to so no, hear just, your thoughts, yeah. too, because um, Bloomberg is very fancy. Um, it really is. Honestly, you guys should check it out. Um, but to your point, right, like the way that my team approaches projects is we're a team that works on strategy. We work on integration, which is the vertical that we sort of talked about, which is like us as internal ambassadors talking to, you know, Jay's producers and being like, hey, if Jay has this in his run of show, can we deepen the experience and talk to talk about Man in the Arena? That's bringing people deeper into our ecosystem, right? For us, when I first joined, there was this huge pressure on original content to bring in a massive amount of subscribers. And that's just coming from Hulu. That's just not how I saw it work. Very few things would have had that sort of like crazy spike, like... I think at one point, and, and I hope there's no hooligans in here, there was like Love Island was like breaking the platform. And I was like, ooh, all my people are showing up and signing up for Love Island on Hulu, right? But very few shows have that sort of ecosystem. So the way that we look at it is monthly, we look at a report. What are people consuming on our platform? What does that look like in terms of engagement, retention? How much are they watching our episodes too long? Should they be shorter? There was a time where we were producing like 14-minute episodes, and I'm like, okay, team, this is not YouTube. We have to create less content longer because if people are watching on their living room, they're not expecting to go seek out something else to watch. So it's really important to use analytics to tell stories, but not for them to define creative because there is that yin and yang for a reason. So it's important to have a happy marriage that blends the two for ultimately the creative to come out winning. Would, would they watch 14 minutes and then go away? Is that why that was a problem? Well, you would watch and then you'd have to go back and then restart the, ep the next episode and you might get disengaged, you might cook dinner, at that point your kid might be bothering you versus you could just hand an iPad over, you know, right? Now. 
and have the kid be babysat by the iPad and then you continue watching. Um, all jokes aside, no one does that here, I know. Um, all great parents in this room. Um, <laughs> Every parent does it. <laughs> so, no, like you just tend to lose people because when you're clicking and sitting on your, on your couch, you're more likely watching 30-minute content, an hour long, an hour 30, and it's helping you sort of unwind for the day depending on when you're watching, right? So it's important to understand where the peaks are so you're better serving your audience and therefore then the content. Have you done, uh, does, have you done experimenting around releasing shows weekly versus all at once? Like, oh, yes. And what, it, what, is, what does that tell you? I'm looking at my PR person, because I don't know if I can say it. <laughs> I'm looking right at them. I mean, honestly, here's the reality of the thing. Bulk drops. Netflix has an amazing ecosystem where bulk dropping content is like, ooh, I, like, I was not built up in the Netflix ecosystem. Like, growing up in that house to, like, have to wait a week. It's like binge eating, right? You're just, like, sitting there. You're like, I'm going to eat all of it and watch it. And, like, now my whole day is gone, and I'm calling my therapist, right? Like that you're meant to be sitting there binging. That's the behavior on our platform. That's not really the behavior. So when you drop all of it at once, people might tune into a few episodes, but they might just disengage or disassociate because they are not used to acting in that format. I also think it probably goes back to Jay's point around, you know, he's, he's there too. So, and, and that ecosystem's there. So week to week, they can talk about the topics too, and it builds up as well. I was actually going to ask you, Jay, so then how do you think about leveraging um, what you're doing on air and how it syncs with producing and so forth? Like what's the value add? And how do you, how do you think about the equation? Do you keep them separate? Do you connect the dots? Or? Funny that you asked me that. My contract's up, Kant, didn't I? Okay. Um, no. I have zero power to renew him, team. <laughs> You know, I, I think one of the, on the production side, about stories that I think I want to tell, uh, we were talking about, you know, what are the differentiators for you to cut through a lot of the chatter, right? Like every single day, I joke with my wife, you know, she sent me an article three days ago about, you know, Silicon Valley Bank, right? And I'm like, oh, have you heard about Aaron Rodgers lately? Because I'm just so entrenched in like what's happening with sports, it kind of takes you away from the rest of the marketplace. But like, you know, we've kind of gone out and said, okay, like, what are stories? Like, you know, with Adam Newhouse, he used to be at ESPN. Like, we partnered him, bought the rights to Hoop Dreams. All right, so for me, like, that's one of the first basketball documentaries that I actually watched. And trying to say, okay, well, that title right out of the gate gets your attention for any basketball lover. Right now, how do we make one plus one equal 10 by, you know, weaving different storylines together? And then I think, for me, what I think is going to be like the wave of the future is, you know, as talent, you know, how are companies partnering and collaborating with talent, right? Because we always talk about retention rate, you know, due to macroeconomics, due to the economy, like, you know, rates for talent are going down, down ultimately. So how, what else are you bringing to the table from a value-add perspective? Is that relationships with athletes where you can collaborate and bring content to the table for the likes of a Netflix and ESPN or an Amazon? And are you looking at it holistically from a 360 degree? Because I truly believe me as talent, I have access to people like walking rooms, like, oh, here you go, Jay, meet this person, or here you go, Jay, meet Barack Obama, here you go, Jay, meet Michael Jordan, and we're, we're walking. You in heard here. that, yeah. Barack Obama? Yeah. I mean, it's just it's true though, because I'm on air talking about it, and I try to, I don't look at it from a salacious news perspective, which you know I don't get ingrained daily on TV with. Let me tell you why LeBron James he lives here, but because he does, I, I don't like that. Like I like to keep it strictly to the court, because for me, I'm looking at the athlete by saying I can be critical of you on the court when it comes to decisions that you have off the court. I rather 
work with you and collaborate on how you tell that story and how I ultimately bring that to my network more so than ruin the relationship and then never have a chance to collaborate. So that's where I see the future of it going. So you're not touching the John Morant story? Oh, I'm touching. I just want to, I, I want to, I want to tell it. Like, I want to work with John saying, okay, like, how do you, for me, guys, like, I had to think about how I was going to tell my own accident. And the second pick in the draft, take Michael Jordan's locker, right, which is every little kid's dream, and then I almost died in a motorcycle accident. It took me, you know, nine years to think about and how to own that story and say, all right, here were things that were my fault. All right, Coach K, you thought I was at fault for this. Jerry Reinsdorf, you thought I was at fault for this. How do I own all that? And then how do I think through that on where my brand is going? But I think first for John Morant, owning your story by saying, yeah. You know, I, I don't think John Morant ever expected to be a celebrity. He may have expected to be a, a really superstar in the player. NBA. Yeah. But I don't think a lot of people understand what comes along with being a Tom Brady, going through a divorce publicly, right? And then still having a business. And, and being um, you know, cathartic or being transparent with your experiences, Michael Strahan, uh, what we have, you know, working with even Stephen A. Smith, I think owning your own story and then thinking how to think through that and where that goes is imperative for all these athletes with where their own individual brands are going. How quickly, you know, let's pretend, or let's say that accident and everything that happens with your career happens today. How quickly does that become a documentary? I mean, I, I was laughing on our call because we were you're asking about the future of sports. It's, um, so in 2002, we win a championship. I get National Player of the Year, uh, average 30 in the tournament, decide to, I'm going to stay in school, come back in school, the following year, graduate school in three years, right? I want to cover every magazine, get drafted second behind Yao Ming, like I said, a lot of seven, six people out there in the world. Jesus. Um, Don't you think it makes your story better that you weren't I, I, the number one pick? Well, I mean, and then be like, well, you're the number one American pick. I'm like, I want to be the number one pick in the world. Uh, well, but like, I get the Chinese market, and obviously I've well, seen what's like, happened with that in the or, NBA. Or what's happening now with, where there's a presumption that, uh, that the, the player at Alabama is going to be the number one college player, but you'll have two people who Victor are... Victor Wembanyama, yeah. yeah. Well, Wembanyama would be number one overall. overall. It's, uh, what's, Brandon Miller. Yeah. Or Scoot you. Henderson, yeah. Yeah. Same with that. Anyway, sorry. No, 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 it's no worries. So, I, I mean, I think that I would have had people like Amit reach out to me months ago if that would happen on the national stage where I get hurt in a motorcycle accident. I mean, it's, um, it, it, and I think that's my story lends to that. Like, I, I, when, you know, crisis happens, I think going through crisis myself allows me to kind of gingerly enter the equation by saying, I've gone through these type of things before. This is how I thought about my own story arc. Um, here's how I see your story arc going. And so I think now the, the premium on stories like that, that's what every streamer is looking for, right? Like how do you create more relatability to that individual and the masses that follow that individual? Can I pitch uh, Jay on doing this story actually? Because, well, one thing I would add to that is to say um, one thing we see a lot is perspective matters, meaning... Um, if you had the opportunity to work with John Morant now, that would be interesting. But there's, there's something to be said around having the time to digest what's happened and then apply a perspective to it. And um, so to Lucas's question or point, I think there's probably a lot of demand. But I would imagine, Jay, you're telling that story at the moment versus telling it now would be very different. 
It was like, you know, um, when I got drafted, Bill Duffy was my agent, and his assistant was a woman named Lindsay Kagawa, who was learning how to become an agent. She is now one of the strongest agents in all the game of basketball. All the game of basketball. She has Brittany Griner as a client. So, you know, Lindsay, I've known each other for 20 years, so while all that, I've always wanted to tell Brittany's story, not that I've had a chance to, it's still up in the air, we'll see. Um, but like having that relationship and thinking through, obviously Brittany Griner is one of the biggest stories in sports, but letting that story simmer and seeing how many things have changed since she's came back home is another interesting story arc for us to tell. But obviously time, I think, allows you to tell it differently instead of just thinking about it in that moment. Well, when you two partner, don't forget to see us first. You remember <laughs> the songs playing, I'll curate the playlist, like come see us first. Always. We can go to a Carol G concert together to seal the deal. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, that, your, your comment on, on Brittany Griner made me think, who, for, for each of you, is there a, an athlete out there or a story that is sort of you know, the, the white whale, the one that you really want to tell that you haven't figured out or the person hasn't agreed to cooperate? Or I mean, I'll tell you the one we, Gotham and I've been, and I could publicly talk about, uh, been tracking Virat Kohli for four years now. This is the, mm. one of the biggest cricketers in the world. And uh, I mean, I've been talking to his team. Met, it's just, when is the right time? And we're on it. We want it to happen. And I think to me, it's more than a cricket fan and so forth. It's like, how can you change? I mean, there's, there's two billion people in that country. And there's multiple billions of cricket fans across the, across the world. Um, if we think Tom Brady is a big story, what could that be? And so how do we get a, to be a part of that? And I think that's really exciting. Um, so something like that would be a lot of fun. And when you say that's the kind of thing where you guys are going after it and you just need him, like, what's the... Yeah, I mean, that's sometimes what it takes. That this, again, literally, it's been four years we've been talking to him and his team. And it's always... And so we built a great relationship. The question is just, when is the right time? What's the right story? And so you just... And yet, what is... For, for those that are unfamiliar, like, other than him being the best cricket player in the world, like, yeah. what are the dimensions of that story? Yeah, so he's really? got... I think it's 250 Instagram follow, 250 million Instagram followers. Um, his wife is one of the most famous Bollywood actresses in India as well. Uh, he's at the top of his game. He was battling um, uh, a couple of years where he really struggled. Um, and then this year, I don't know if anyone followed it, but in the World Cup, I mean, was just an incredible performance um, against their biggest rival. So it's, it's, a, it's a cool, like, and he's been around for 10 years, um, so it's, or plus, I think. Uh, so it's a, it's a cool overall story, um, and it'll light up, you know, the entire world. So we just got to find a way. Someone tried to get me into cricket when I was a kid, and I just, I'm a huge baseball fan, it. so it makes no sense. It could, I, just, I, I, I grew up here, my parents from India, but uh, until I lived there for two years, I couldn't really get into it. I would say um, I'm, I'm a huge football fan, football, like international football. So like uh, Mbappe or Messi, uh, obviously for how they met in the World Cup final. I'll give you another one that's extremely polarizing. We were talking about this on air, like, you know, who's more polarizing, Aaron Rodgers, Kevin Durant, and this whole conversation, but um, curious the reaction from the room that we'll get when I say his name, but I just Kyrie Irving to me, I think, is, um, you know, Mike Greenberg told me one of the best pieces of advice when I got into TV. He's like, Jay, you're in this industry to be interesting, to be interesting. I never thought about TV that way. Um, and I, I think Kyrie Irving is one of the most interesting individuals who uh, a lot of times what happens when you're an athlete, you build this contentious relationship with the media. Um, and you know, a lot of times that like we just talked about, we were talking about in the background, 
you know, I, I find myself sometimes on air where there'll be a topic and, you know, you go and listen to a lot of podcasts, doing your due diligence, doing my job, and you hear, prime example, Aaron Rodgers' thought on free agency in its entirety. And that's a 15-minute long comment. But then you see the next day in the media, it's one sentence from that comment that then turns into a talking point, which kind of feeds the machine. And a lot of times, talent, there's that word again, doesn't necessarily do their homework because there's so many things going on that they're drawing opinions from that one line. Well, or, and you know way more about this process than I do, or their producer is sort of picking the subject and driving some of the conversation. And well, I know it, it's been like, we like to talk about things that we're passionate about, right? So a lot of times people will come to the table or they'll give you options. But I've seen it happen in, in all facets of it. So for me, like watching all the headlines come out and then also watching where a lot of people get their information from. Are they getting it from the team owners? Are they getting it from the GMs? Are they getting it from the players? Are they trying to get it from somebody neutral? There's all these different angles of attack that the media plays a role in. And a lot of times you never get a chance to hear Kyrie Irving's kind of unfiltered, let me have time to have, like you said, that time span, right? To think through something objectively to reflect back on, did I do this right? Did I do that wrong? How would I have done this again? So you can try to understand. I'm not saying it alters your opinion one way or the other because you provide context and objectivity around it, but you try to understand a little bit more of just what the world would be like to be a Kyrie Irving or a LeBron James and try, like I said, for me, it's all about that relatability. I try to make somebody land like, okay, I may not understand it all the way, but there's an aspect of my life that maybe I can't understand. You, you, you mentioned something when we were talking last week on this that piqued my interest. Is there a Kyrie project in the works or is that just something you're interested in? I can neither confirm nor deny okay. these accusations. <laughs> Right now, I think uh, I'm just trying to learn as much from Katya and Amith. That's my Duke. That's my Duke politically correct answer. Yes. Yeah, he is. He's sneaky here. Yeah, I like Lucas, it. Man. Well done, Lucas. Well, he's good at his job. Um, you're the only one who hasn't answered. Uh, let's see. So this one we sort of already announced, but it's personal to me because when I was at the NFL Network, I sort of saw this story sort of happening in real time when I was really, really young in my career, and it was Colin Kaepernick's story and. I always wanted to, you always heard other people sort of talking about it. You never really heard him talking about it. And so for us to be able to have him and, and Spike, which is already announced, sort of doing something, I think is going to be really pivotal and insightful because it was such a polarizing time in our country and it was such a polarizing figure at the time. And at the end of the day, we sometimes forget that we're all human. And I think, you know, at the time, I felt like the human nature was being sort of lost in translation. So I'm excited for that. And it's something that I personally always had in the back of my mind. And now to see it in the forefront, I'm, I'm giddy. Can I tell you a context on that? So I, did, I was interviewed by Spike. And Spike was like, so, Jay, back in 2015, you made this tweet on April 13th. And, <laughs> Damn. Um, but like that, that goes to, like, how fluid the times are. And during that during that juncture, you know, what side you stood on really mattered, right? And a lot of people sometimes in media, there's so, so much uh, flip-flopping. Max Kellerman always say, like, I can tell you something today and next week it could change. And if I sell next week better than I did last week, then you'll never know what I said last week, right? But like in this time pendulum to get stuck down in that period of time where you're like, I don't know how to really answer these politically polarizing questions, even though I know what I feel, 
but there's so many sensitivities around it, like people losing their jobs and cancel culture, not knowing, like, it's going to provide so much context. But I think that's so important to go back and readdress that in that real time. It's going to be powerful. Um, we, have, we have some time left, but I do just want to say, since I'm sure some people in the room may have questions, that uh, happy to, to open it up. Um, and we can, if you don't have it, we can keep talking. But if you do, uh, there's a microphone in the middle right there. Don't everybody run to the mic yeah. at once. <laughs> we are a very friendly bunch. And we crack jokes if you tell us to. Jay, you're first. <laughs> <laughs> Jay, you're up. She's um, hi, I'm Cindy Carter. I'm a former television reporter, and I currently teach broadcast journalism at LSU, Louisiana State University. Go Tigers! Um, I teach a lot of sports reporters. Um, I'll be honest, I've never covered sports in my life, except for a strange time when the sports guy got caught in traffic and I had to wing it. Um, so, but I can teach storytelling. And that's what I stress to my sports kids. And being at LSU, it's like minor league football. So they do have a lot of access that I think a lot of young reporters would not have, or, or reporters who are learning. However, because it is LSU, there are a lot of roadblocks. And so I'm curious as to your thoughts on creating good stories and storytelling when there are a lot of roadblocks at play, but you still want to go after that story, and you may not have unlimited time to get it done. Thank you. Do you want to take a shot at this? I mean, my immediate reaction is there are other avenues, meaning like audio, digital, right? So, so there's so many tools now that you know college students have access to. The other thing I would say, and hopefully there's no none of my league partners here, <laughs> but uh, but you know we we will get we would get hammered, as would ESPN, by the NBA or the NFL or anything to not go through every buttoned-up check on licensing and archival, but a college student who's working with the, the team may not. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, that's aside, but I think audio, digital, tools, um, experimentation um, is, is the way I would push it forward. And then, because you know, storytelling is still, to your point, storytelling, and so how do you cut through and then experiment, put things out there, um, YouTube, obviously, TikTok, other platforms. And then, and then look, there's a lot of competitions. Um, we've done, we've collaborated with some different film competitions. Uh, we did one with NYU last year where we did a uh, college-driven creative competition um, that you can also test. And so I would say that route. Yeah, I think how you, how you brand it, too, is really important uh, because I, I found that, you know, utilizing other people who are attached to the story in some form or fashion that have big followings, if that is YouTube or if that is creating that kind of branding collateral on TikTok, tagging people, you'd be really intrigued how many times people tag me and I find myself just reposting it. I'm like, damn, that's really interesting. And then that goes to the million people and that kind of creates a chain reaction that I think could then kind of stoke the fire for due process and how you start navigating that. I think if you're able to build attention and momentum behind a story, then the rest will take form itself. I, nobody asked for my opinion on this, but as someone who did uh, manage to piss off athletes in high school and college for the, the newspaper, <laughs> and who writes a lot without access, I would just say one of the best things about covering sports is that it's uh, a lot of what happens is in front of you, right? And so if a team is not playing well, 
the proof is there. You don't, you know, it's not your fault if you write something critical of them. You know, but other than that, there's always an avenue to tell a story, even if there are the, the school is trying to get in your way, right? Like most universities take some kind of public funding. That means you should be able to access documents in some way or, or some kind of requests. You can always find somebody who works in the locker room, who's a disgruntled player. I mean, I'm assuming that one of your questions is because <laughs> at LSU, they just want the newspaper to write really positive things about the, about the, about the team, right? And like they get mad if someone who's a student journalist wants to act, like dare to be critical. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well then. I do have some tips for you if you want to connect after this panel. I was on a sports summit for a bunch of schools in the Massachusetts area. That's just resources to filmmakers and storytellers that they don't even know exist, whether it's Sundance to the Television Academy has an incredible one. I might judge this year. Like, I'll connect. It's a list curated by not just me, but someone at the Celtics, somebody at the Red Sox, somebody at... Um, Baller TV, as well as um, MIT Sloan. So I can share that with you. Morning, everyone. So first, I'm Rindell Papa. Uh, lovely to meet you, and I appreciate the panel so far. There was a question I wanted to like reiterate or get Lucas's kind of bounce on. He voiced uh, the desire of like, what is the value for an athlete for uh, without the brand name? So we're talking about conversions and the relatability of athletes in sports. Is it necessary that they're like on a team, that they've won a gold medal to make that story relatable? And what's your approach to not losing that discoverability piece? Can I? I mean, I would just say no. The answer is we'll take any story too because the network has to do some work as well. I'll use a perfect example. I don't know if anybody does know this name. You could raise your hand really quickly. If you don't, I'll judge you. I'm kidding. Uh, no, Drew Robinson. Did I, does anybody know Drew Robinson's story? Two people, right? Three. So Drew Robinson is not a crazy recognizable name. He's not you know, Tom Brady, he's not, you know, Serena Williams, he's not, you know, Derek Jeter, but he actually has a very compelling story about mental health, and it's, we told the story that E60 team did, and it was him actually committing suicide, and then living, and joining a team, yeah, he shot himself in the head, survived, called the police, the police did not believe it, so they thought it was an ambush, and there was an ESPN Daily, a uh, an editorial written story and, uh, and not only did it perform but it was a story that needed to be told around mental health and all the struggles that we go through by all intents and purposes he's a handsome person has life before him has all these amazing things yet he was really struggling inside and there are so many people that were moved myself included with that story that it really made me reflect not only on how I show up in the world but how I show up for others and by all intents and purposes, none of, none of us know his name through his stats, but I hope all of us know his name through our hearts because it's a story that will teach us about compassion and empathy and what the power of storytelling actually does have for every audience. 
That was the Jeff Passan piece, right? Or am I making yeah. that up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was called E60 Alive. And till this day, like, some of the footage in there, I have to literally look away. Second is a great piece. Hi, good morning. My name is Jose Carlos Charlie Sarmiento. And I want your suggestion. What do you recommend for a human being that uh, have faced uh, was a promising athlete since early stage uh, from a family of an alcoholic father that overcomes anxiety and depression through sports and played for a Latin America in a national team in three different disciplines and uh, became a sports entrepreneur and now he's in America uh, accomplishing his American dream with four children. Uh, what do you recommend? I, I don't know all the details of the story, but uh, I, I think one of the um, lessons I've learned along the way is that how you tell the story is very important. So for me, frankly, I leaned into when I was thinking about my first version of storytelling was around myself, right? Uh, when I wrote my book and leaning into the challenges that you've had, I think is one of the best things a human being can do. I think right out of the gate for me, um, nobody can relate to being, you know, a high level entrepreneur. I mean, certain people can, but not everybody. Um, and I had to look at that from being a professional athlete, right? Like uh, a lot of people couldn't relate to being a two time national player of the year or being the second pick in the draft. What everybody could relate to was depression, right? Had serious depression. Uh, I had two bouts of suicide that were unsuccessful. And I think one of the powerful tools that I found along the way when telling my story is that a guy who was my really good friend who was my legal advisor had went through um, a divorce where his wife had literally left him. He came home one day, his wife had left him. And at that moment, I thought when we were talking about over drinks, I'm like, oh my God, that is your motorcycle accident. Like, so everybody's had their motorcycle accident or something in some form or fashion, whether extreme or it, it all depends upon who you are. And I think leaning into, once again, that relatability is something that you just expand your net of people that you're talking to because people want to root for people that are trying to pick up the pieces, which frankly, we're all trying to pick up the pieces. This is about how you tell the story of those pieces you're trying to pick up. Thank you. Don't know if that and that athlete is me. That person is me. So thank you for that. Um, I think we can do everyone in line because we, we we're going to go a little over, but we have a little cushion, but let's cut it at the last guy there. Hi, I'm Cecilia. Um, I am a social media storyteller for a platform significantly smaller than ESPN, obviously, but curious what your recommendation is. You know, you talk about sports changing the world, right? And we don't have a LeBron James or someone of that scale. So what is your recommendation for someone who wants to tell stories that change the world that might just have their phone and like the passion for it? I'm assuming that's me. Yeah. yeah. Well, honestly, congratulations. I'm proud of you because you're doing it. There's a lot of people that talk about doing it and there's people that do it. So super proud of you and excited for you and would love to follow. Two, I would say learn the algorithm, right? Because yeah, I think finding poppy stories is awesome, but I look at way too many dog videos, honestly. And a lot of that is around algorithms, right? So if you study the algorithm and get really strategic with your posting, you're maximizing and optimizing for the platform, which is going to have you grow. Here's a perfect example. Savannah Bananas, they're a... <laughs> <laughs> 
everybody. Go you ahead. should check them out on TikTok. <laughs> Literally, they're crazy. Like and I'm right obsessed, now. right? They're obsessed. Like, by all intents and purposes, they're not the MLB, but they have so much power because they're uniquely themselves. So I would say continue to tell uniquely sto unique stories based on your voice and tone and that of the platform. Understand the algorithm and how to optimize for it because that's the winning solution and no one can stop you because you'd be surprised how hard it is to turn around a big machine like ours versus for you, you can move and adapt quickly. Awesome, that's Ed Spur's way. <laughs> Hi, uh, my name is Kiki Lynch. I'm a student athlete at Trinity University. So what was an obstacle that you had to overcome and how did you face it? I guess Jay's, Jay's already told that story. It's compelling. Um, I think, look, I, I think for us, um, there's lots, um, you know, in, I, I can say in the context maybe of building a business and where we've struggled, um, you know, not everything uh, goes to plan. And there's so many times when um, we've had, uh, as a team, areas that we kind of try to go down the path of that we struggle with. And so, um, you know, I think to me, if I just reflect on what's worked, it's been this version of saying, um, you can't expect everything to be successful, but you can plan as well as you can. And then um, when something doesn't work, being really ruthless and honest about it and saying, that didn't work, that was a failure, let's cut it off and let's move forward and invest in what does. And that, for us, you know, there's some missteps we've had. You know, we talked about social media, on our social media front, what we thought we could build as a brand and what we haven't, or on the brand front, like working with brands directly. But I think we, we pivot and we try to overall create value. And I, I would say that, you know, very much in a personal context too. It's like, be honest with myself as well. I'm like, this is what I'm good at, what I'm not. And then try to hire around um, building perspective. I think also as it relates to reporting, it depends upon what line of work you're in. How do you navigate those relationships? I found myself uh, building relationships with a lot of different people. So when those issues are then addressed on national TV, Where's the line, right? Um, you know, what things that were said in confidence, uh, what are you allowed to use, uh, you know, how you're not going overboard for the sakes of clicks or being polarizing. And I, I think always, you know, how you balance that line is extremely important because at the end of the day, I don't care what anybody says, you can have the most polarizing opinions in the world, but we're still in the business of relationships, you know, and, and, and I think being upfront. You know, you said about cold, hard, brutal truth. I think being direct with people about, hey, this is what I'm going to report or this is how I'm going to report it. I think at the end of the day, people will respect you a lot more for being direct and upfront with them instead of coming in sideways and then finding out later and then being reactive. Thank you so much. Hi, my name is Rachel Stetz. Um, Thank you so much for being here today. This has been a fascinating conversation, and the vibes of this panel are amazing. <laughs> Loving it. <laughs> um, so I, I work for a creative agency, and on behalf of a lot of clients and brands that are looking to invest more in sport and obviously make sure that a lot of these stories are being told. So my question is, how do you see the role of brands evolving in this space besides money, um, because I think especially for new brands that maybe aren't some of your big classical sport brands like your Nike and Adidas, right? So they might be coming in, they want to help make sure that these stories are heard and told and amplified, but of course they're also wanting to tell their own stories. So how do you recommend 
going into that space, per perhaps especially as a new player and kind of navigating that balance? I can tell you the way we look at it, um, because that's actually a vertical of our business on how to scale. It's taking those brand partner relationships and obviously doing all the production behind it for my partner, but also helping with the creative side as well. Frankly, like I, <laughs> I think what we're moving towards is like this brands just kind of inserting themselves into the conversation for certain athletes. I hate that. I really do. Um, one of the things I've helped athletes do over the last 10 years is, all right, let me take an audit of your life. Like, what brands do you actually use? <laughs> Think about this. Shockingly, right? Like, yeah. what, what brands do you naturally promote on your IG, your TikTok that you don't even know that you're doing? And actually going to those brands and then working with them and their creative agencies to put together the most authentic story around them. I think people feel authentic authenticity. Um, and I think authenticity also amplifies across all your socials because people have seen it whether they subconsciously noticed it or not you know like there's history there and that can on that can be ongoing as well so I, I think being authentic with that collaboration is so important with where athletes or entities are going thank you hi i'm alex hi kati um uh, hi alex i love hi. you already alex uh first off <laughs> i like your shirt Thank you. Uh, first off, Jay, I listen to your show every morning. If y'all don't listen to it, it's the best best sports radio talk show, in my Thank opinion. Thank you for the plug. Thank it's you. It's great. I appreciate that. Um, I wanted to uh, address Jay. There was, it was probably like seven or eight years ago, um, you came on the Oprah show, and y'all had a really fascinating conversation. And at the time... I had remembered you as like the badass point guard from when I was a little kid. Was Jay Will and TJ Ford were always like the two guys that I thought were the, the best college players. Texas um, alum, yeah. Yep, yep, UT. Um, and I was like, man, what, what happened to, to Jay Williams? I remember he was a beast. Um, and then kind of forgotten about you and you had been off the scene for a while and you told your story and it was really so emotionally moving um, to me. And one of the, I remember one of the things you called out was that through like your darkest days, when you're going through the hardest times, one person that always checked in with you every week and was always there when other people dropped out of your life was Coach K. Um, and, and it changed my perspective on him as, as a leader and as a person and what an impact he's had on, on guys like yourself. Um, and now you're doing incredible things that amazed by, by what you do. Um, and I'm curious for the panel, when you all think about these athletes that you amplify their stories, how do you approach maybe um, highlighting some of the influential figures in their life and, and the impact that they play as well? Um, thank you for that. I appreciate the words, first and foremost. Um, it's been a journey, and I'm lucky to have three kids now under four, which is why I'm always tired. But... <laughs> Very blessed. Um, you know, I, Lucas actually asked me the other day uh, on our pre-panel conversation about where I think the future of sports is going. And, you know, name, image, and likeness, Neil, is such a big thing right now. I'm on a panel with the new commissioner, Baker, of NCAA tomorrow night talking about this. And I, I truly do believe this. Doing, like, I've worked at ESPNU for four and a half, five years, making $30,000 a year, carrying around my own equipment when I first started doing TV. It was the most humbling and it was the best experience in my life, right? Um, 
because I had, I had to really sit down with people. And I think a lot of times from watching, from the outside looking in, you draw these conclusions on who you think people are, right? And for me, like Bill Self or Coach K or Roy Williams or Nick Saban, like I spent time with all these guys. So I, I truly do believe that all these universities are gonna turn into their own entities where they're gonna start owning their own IP. Like it's inevitable, right? Uh, it's gonna help them with the brand, but also the storytelling and the, the tentacles that come away from the university. Like Jalen Hurts, like if you're, if you're Nick Saban, if Alabama has their own production IP, like why wouldn't you work with Jalen Hurts? It's one of the best stories in sports, right? Like let's actually own. Imagine Nick Saban said, I made a mistake. You imagine that, like talking about Tua and that decision, going back, revisiting that moment. And for me, Coach K has always talked about it that way. He's always, hey, Jay, you're going to come here. You're going to work these fantasy camps. You know, all of a sudden I found myself coaching Eddie Q, who's second over at Apple, telling me, you know, you can build a multi-billion dollar company, but you can't remember a simple damn flex screen. Like, but you, these relationships that you get and these programs, right, and these guys that are there for you, I think how we weave through and tell those stories are so important because all these coaches are touching young people. Now, we live in this algorithm where it's about extremism and polarization, but at the end of the day, like, you know, Roy Williams saved Raymond Felton's life. And people don't know how, they don't know that story, but doesn't that make sense for North Carolina to work with Roy Williams and Raymond Felton to help tell that story? Doesn't that improve the brand of a North Carolina? Or Ben Simmons coming from Australia for LSU, what was that experience like? Or readdressing some of the issues that happened at LSU. Imagine if LSU was at the forefront of saying, yeah, uh, we did mess up and this is what happened. And you know, being objective on yourself and being, once again, creates more relatability. Um, and, and that's where I see people like Coach K and some of the best coaches in the game and the players and these entities all moving forward in that direction. And we'll quickly add that, like, for us, we don't tell stories of heroes that don't include the people that actually built them to be those people or supported them throughout that. Most of our storytelling actually includes other voices. I mean, you joked about us interviewing you. I mean, there's people that don't even make the cut. It's like over 100 plus people, but anyone who has the connection to you, we want to know what they think of you and how they helped you get to where you want to be. Yeah, I would say... Jay's idea is a really great one in terms of college integration. There's, I think there's endless ideas to, to attack what you just described. Man, the arena, the one we took as an example was who was the one person? Um, so each episode of the 10 episodes, what, what did Tom learn on the field that he applied to life going forward? And then who was the one person that taught that lesson? And so that was the orienting architecture there where everyone was brought in, whether it was Teddy Bruschi or, you know, his trainer, right? And, and um, but I think there's a lot of angles to... To, to hit at the very important point you, you brought up. Awesome. Thank you. I appreciate all the insight. Yeah. Good luck in the tournament. Yeah. And yeah. If, one of y'all, if one of y'all wants to do a uh, documentary on uh, Jose Altuve, I will be watching oh, the yeah. entire I'm, thing. I'm in.